I do want to bring a message today to the students, but really to all of us, because um, this is something that a lot of us, we just don't get, because the world that we live in doesn't give us this to, to live by and operate from. But because of a graduation time, uh, I want to give a message that isn't typical around the graduation time. And many of the messages that you'll hear at graduation time are going to call you to remember. Um, remember those good times. Remember those valuable lessons. Remember where you came from. You'll also hear messages about um, pursuing your dreams. Dream big. Go for it. Um, change the world. Do great things. Uh, you'll hear messages about the importance of working hard and never giving up and um, the power of persistence. I mean, I remember those speeches back when I graduated. Uh, and then I got to serve as a youth pastor for 20 years. So I have sat through more than my share of graduation messages. I've even gotten to where it's like I can like rate them and like, all right, who gave a good speech and who didn't? Um, but so rather than give you the, the, the typical go for it, dream big, work hard speech, I want to tell you how to live a life where God's hand is on you. Because that's not automatic. Um, how to live the blessed life. And, and for that, I want you to turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 1. Um, I left my Bible up there. Lee, would you hand me my Bible? I left it on the seat right there. Don't want to speak God's word without God's word in my hands. In the, in the first chapter of Psalms, uh, biblical scholars almost unanimously will, will say that, that Psalm chapter 1 uh, was either written specifically to open the book of Psalms or it was intentionally inserted there to kind of kind of be like the opening paragraph, like the, this is the, the interpretive agenda for the entire book of Psalms. And it's a big book. Uh, and that most of the scholars think that that. Uh, Psalm chapter 1 and Psalm chapter 2 are, are, are meant as a pair. Like they, they, they go together to give you the interpretive agenda of the entire book. Um, and what, what you would see when you read this psalm is that the agenda for the entire book can be summed up as wisdom for living a blessed life. I mean, that's the, that's the first words in the psalm. First words of the book. Blessed is the man. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. Here's a book on how to have a blessed life. A life blessed by God. I mean, not, not simply various experiences of success in life. But where you have a divine favor on a person. Look, because anyone can work hard or study and find favor and advantage in life because of their hard work and their study. I mean, but, but really, some people will also get that same advantage in life by cheating, by lying, by stealing. Uh, our world's full of people who've gotten ahead because they've taken what they did not earn. So this, this word, this, this, this psalm, it's not about how to get ahead in life. It's not about how do you achieve various degrees of success in life. No, this is a, this is meant to tell you how to live a life where the hand of God leads the way, where, where the success that you experience, it goes beyond mere hard work and study, where the, where the dividends in life 
for some reason pay off a little bit more and the wear and tear of life oh gosh people are doing jumping jacks in the background that's because I'm just ready to go hey children if you want to go to children's church you're dismissed Things are not right with Pastor Bob today. And I get to be dumb in front of a crowd. How about that? But, but my point is, when, when, when God's hand is on you, when God's favor is on you, the, your success goes beyond your own hard work. And, and the wear and tear of life doesn't seem to wear as much as it does for others. Right now, There are Christian men and women who believe that the key to their success is their own grit and determination and their willingness to work hard. I mean, for for them, success is going to come by their own hand, not by God's hand, right? And, And listen, you can have success by your own hard work, grit, and determination, but that's not what I want to tell you about. I want to tell you about how to have God's hand involved in what you do that leads you to a greater deal of success. And I'm not judging people who choose to trust in themselves, their own hands, and work. I mean, because really, in this world that, we've, that we live in, um, nobody talks about how to trust God much anymore. I mean, I was taught, just like everyone else, that hard work and determination were the key to success, not God's hand. And in our modern misunderstanding of things, uh, we think of blessing in the same way that we think of as luck. I mean, like luck seems random and mysterious. And a person will either have good luck or a person will have bad luck. But luck just happens. And we equate blessing in that same way. That, that In fact, we kind of make blessing as our, it's our spiritual way of saying a person has good luck. Just good things happen to them because of that. With, with that kind of misunderstanding, I mean, who can blame someone for choosing to seek the results of their own effort rather than seek the blessed hand of God? But divine blessing and our concept of luck have very little in common. The, the blessing of God is not random. Um, and according to this psalm, you can live in such a way as to invite the blessing of God upon your life. And let me tell you why seeking the blessing of God is better than just relying on your own skill and effort. See, back in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God purposefully broke creation for the purpose of hope because he knew that if we were to live sinful lives in a world that was perfect, we would never turn to him and look for a savior. That we would be forever lost in our sin. So he broke the world, and this world is broken in it. He cursed the ground. And in Genesis chapter 3, it says that because of that, when he cursed the ground, that, that man is going to work the ground. He was going to toil. He was going to um, have to work by the, by the sweat of his brow. Look, this is why you and I are always having to fix things. I mean, you get one thing accomplished, and now something else breaks. And then you get that fixed, and now someone gets sick. And then you get well, and now the car breaks down. And you fix the broken car, and then something else breaks. And that's life as we all know it, isn't it? If it's not one thing, it's another. We know this. We've experienced this. Last week, 
I fixed my car. Then Sunday, our clothes dryer breaks. I fix it. Then Thursday, my wife's car breaks down. If it's not one thing, it's another. How many of you have ever fixed something, built something, accomplished something, and you did it so well that you never had to fix anything ever again? It's toil. And it will be this way until you and I enter heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Listen, no matter what your belief system is in this world, no one escapes the reality of life in a fallen and broken world. Work hard with grit and determination and you're still going to have to do more work. That's reality. And eventually you're going to have to return and fix things on what you've worked hard with your grit and determination to do. But what if you could add the hand of God to what you do? I mean, hard work, grit, and determination are good things for you to have in your life. But what if you could add the hand of God in your midst? I mean, the hand of God increasing your productivity. The hand of God giving you more return for your effort. The hand of God helping things last a bit longer, go a bit further, grow a bit faster. I mean, to people who don't understand, the hand of God helping things... It just looks like, like luck, but it's not luck. It's blessing. In this world, we all have to work hard. But what if the hand of God was helping you in your work? And that's what I want to tell you, graduates. That's what I want to tell you, family of God here, is to seek the blessed hand of God. You know, Joseph in the Bible was a man that God blessed. I mean, Joseph had some real obstacles in life. Joseph had to overcome some really hard things, if you know his story. In Genesis chapter 39, we're told this about Joseph. He's been sold into slavery unfairly. And it says in Genesis 39, starting in verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer over his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all he had in the house and field. Look, see, the Bible doesn't say that Joseph succeeded because he worked harder than other slaves. It doesn't say that he succeeded because he worked smarter than the other slaves. Joseph succeeded because the Lord was with Joseph and God blessed the things that Joseph was a part of. And if you know the story of Joseph, even though he was sold into slavery, even though he was imprisoned for something he didn't do, the presence of God in his life made such a difference that eventually he was elevated to the second in command in all of Egypt, just underneath Pharaoh. Daniel was such a man. Daniel was carried off to a foreign land by a foreign oppressor, carried off to Babylon. But God was with him, and God blessed him. And eventually, Daniel was elevated to second in command underneath the king of Babylon. Blessing. Let me ask you this. Anybody here like Chick-fil-A? Yeah, we like Chick-fil-A. Anybody going to have Chick-fil-A later today? Why not? They're not open on Sunday, are they? 
You can't have it on Sunday because they're not open. Did you know that Chick-fil-A makes more money in six days a week than other fast food restaurants make in seven? Logic says that if you make X amount of dollars in six days working, then you ought to make more by working one more day, by working seven days. But see, the blessing of God goes beyond earthly logic. Listen, all of you, by all means, work hard in your life. Work smart. But you can also be the kind of person that the hand of God blesses the things that you do. So how do you do that? Well, let's look back at the psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. See, life can be tricky. There's so many options. So many things that are unknown. I mean, who does not seek the advice and counsel of others from time to time? Look, you're about to go off to college. And you're going to hear all sorts of new ideas, ways of thinking. And you're going to get to decide how you are going to live your life. And you're going to be faced with choices and new options that were not yours to decide before. And you're going to have to decide which way are you going to go. Which direction in life will you walk And as you walk, will you walk in the counsel of the righteous or will you walk in the counsel of the wicked? You know, we'd like to think that the wicked are terrorists, drug dealers, criminals. Our association with wicked, it may very well be colored by our memory of, y'all remember the Wizard of Oz movies, The Wicked Witch of the West? I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. I mean, that's, that's, that's mean when you're going to go after the little dog. That's wicked. Wicked. We think of something vile, something mean, something that's opposed to what is good. It's evil. How about this guy? He looks wicked. I mean, who's going to take life advice from somebody who looks like that? Like, you know, I need some financial planning. Let me tell you what to do. Yeah, you know, our definition of wicked is not the same as God's definition. In fact, the Bible will use the word wicked to describe a variety of lifestyles, some of which seem quite pleasant and mild. I mean, Jesus tells this story of three servants, each who were given some talents. Two of the servants used their talents for their master, and they gave back more to the master when he returned. The third servant He did nothing with the talent that was given him. And he gave it back to the master just as he had received it when the master returned. The two servants who who did something with their talent for the sake of the master, they were commended. And they they got to hear these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. The servant who did nothing with his talent, this is how he was described. Matthew 25, 26. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. He wasn't mean and ugly and anti his master. He just didn't do anything with what he was given. Jesus defines it as wicked. In another instance, Jesus is teaching on, on trusting God and in his goodness. And, and, he, and he makes the point, he says, compared to God, we're evil. He says this in Matthew seven eleven. He says, if you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 
I mean, Jesus saw people making children happy. They were giving good gifts. And he says, that's a good thing. We all recognize that is good. But Jesus knew the perfect love of God. He says, making children happy is good. The gifts are good. But the givers are sinful, fallen people. So because of that, all of that good gift giving, that fits in the category of evil. And the funny thing is, Jesus defined, that, defined them as evil. Nobody got offended or upset. Well, you can't call me evil. They were like, yeah, I get it. They were in the presence of, of a loving person that was unlike anyone else. Wicked in the Bible could be defined as anyone who does not follow God's ways. Folks, I imagine I'm not the only person who's been wicked in this room, am I? Anyone who does not follow God's ways, whether it's the common serving of self-interest or the blatant opposition of the things of God, walking in the counsel of the wicked does not necessarily mean that you're following the advice of some satanic devil worshipers. Walking in the counsel of the wicked means that you are following after anyone who is not living for God. And truth be told, Jesus doesn't see things the way we do. He doesn't see degrees of right and wrong. Degrees of good and bad. Kind of black and white with him. In fact, Jesus even says in Matthew 12, 30, he says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. There's just... There's just not, there's no partial following of Jesus. You're either all in or you're against him. We see things as, well, that's really bad, that's evil, and that's just a little bad. That's acceptable. Jesus sees it pretty clear. It's either God's way or it's wicked. So as you graduates, as you're going off into adulthood, you're going to hear lots of advice Lots of perspective, lots of ideas, and you get to choose for yourself how you're going to walk. Will you walk in the counsel of those who are pursuing the things of God or those who pursue other things? The wicked aren't always evil looking. They'll, in fact, they'll often counsel you to do things that are actually good. And you could do a lot of good and have success. But if you want a life that is blessed, where God's hand is upon what you do, then do not walk in the counsel of those who are not pursuing the things of God. Listen to them if you have to. But do not go their same direction. Because walking implies that you've decided that's the way I want to go. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. Now, listen, this standing in the way of sinners, this is not standing in front of a person who's trying to sin as though you are Gandalf the Grey from the Lord of the Rings. You shall not pass. Are you the only person who's not seen that? That was a darn good impersonation, I thought. One giggle over here. Made my wife sit through that movie seven times because I kept falling asleep, you know. I'm tired. That's not what it means to stand in the way of sinners. It's not standing in opposition. 
To stand in the way of sinners is to stand in the same manner that they stand for. What do sinners stand for? What are the things that are important to people who don't believe that God is important? What do they stand for? Let me ask you this. What will you take a stand for? G.K. Chesterton. Brilliant mind. He said this once. He said, tolerance is the virtue of a man without conviction. Think about that. Tolerance is the virtue of a man without conviction. But, I mean, because if you don't really believe in anything, then what is going to be important to you? Tolerance seems to be the chief virtue of our society today because as a culture, we really don't believe in anything. So the only thing we can believe in is we just believe that everybody should get along. And therefore, in order for everybody to get along, we have to make everybody's viewpoint equal. And by the way, tolerance today is not the way it was 50 years ago. Tolerance used to be, I can disagree with you, but I'm not going to harm you or hurt you. We're just going to have, we just can disagree and live still in harmony. Today, tolerance is such that it's like, that, that, that I have to not only, I, ha, I can't disagree with you, I have to hold your viewpoint up as equal, as equally valid. And that's not realistic. So you know what you have to do in order to have a world like that? You have to make it where no belief has any value. Look, you've got to eliminate truth to have a world like that where nothing's true. What's true for you may not be true for me. That's what the culture says. If you want a life where people accept you, then stand for what they stand for. But if you want a life where the hand of God is upon the things that you do, then stand for the things of God. Joseph did. Daniel did. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. It made the people around them upset. It brought them trouble in life. And God delivered them all and God elevated them all. He'll do the same for you. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. Scoffing, mockery, It's so easy. This scoffing, this mockery, it really takes root uh, in a person in their early teen years, in junior high. I spent 20 years working as a youth pastor with teenagers, and I identified a face, a common expression among adolescents that I called the junior high sneer. Hey, do you want to go get a burger? <laughs> hey, you like my shoes? <laughs> you got you to put a little breath out. <laughs> you know, the junior high sneer. We, we sneer at things that are beneath us. Would you like coffee? <laughs> Not that brand. Do you like these jeans? <sighs> Not those. Those are so ugly. They're not good enough for me. How was the movie? 
stupid. It was not intellectually stimulating for someone like me. By sneering or mocking, what we do is we hope that we would display our worth by reacting as though certain things are beneath us. You see, that is worth this and I'm worth more. Better than that. Mockery, it's, very, it's a very juvenile way to live. And unfortunately, a lot of people never grow beyond this. And people will use mockery to try to display their intelligence by pointing out the things that are wrong. Oh, I found something that's wrong. That's wrong. That's not good. They think that by identifying the things that are not right, that, that by pointing that out, that people would somehow be impressed with their insight. Oh, you, you realize that something the government do is doing isn't working. Wow, you're so intelligent. Here's the thing. We live in a fallen and broken world. There is no shortage of things that are not the way they ought to be. So, so finding something that's wrong is not a mark of intelligence, nor does it display your worth. It shows you as small, short-sighted, and immature. Listen, let's not be the people who add to the chorus of scoffing and mockery in this world. Plenty of that. Let's be the people that not just point out, that's not right. Let's try to offer a solution. That's worth way more. And then if what we try to offer as a solution, it doesn't work, learn from it. Keep working for the solution. Make this world a better place. Don't join the chorus. Don't sit in the seat of the scoffer. It's way too easy. Why would God bless the scoffer? Scoffer's not adding anything positive to this world. All they're doing is sitting back and sneering at those who are trying. Now, I want you to notice the progression here. It says, walk, stand, sit. Do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Do not stand in the way of the sinner. Do not sit in the seat of the scoffer. It's, it's, it's a destination. Where is your life heading? Where are you finally going to settle and rest? It really is a word about the development of character. See, um, as time goes on, you establish who you are as a person. And either you walk the path of the righteous, stood for the things of God, and sat down and became a person who makes a positive impact to the world, or you walked in the counsel of the wicked, stood in the way of the sinner, and sat in the seat of the scoffer, not making a difference, just making a mockery of things. You know, a person's character is developed one decision at a time. And the more often a person makes a decision, the easier it is to make that same decision a second and a third time. That word... Character comes from the Greek word karadzo. It's actually a tool that's made for etching. You think about this. I could take a Sharpie, a permanent marker, and I can write on a wall, love, patience, perseverance, all these good things. But over time, rain, sun would wash away and bleach that. I mean, I could write it up there really quickly. Look at me. I'm a loving person. It doesn't last. But you get an etching tool, 
and you carve it into that wall. It takes time. It takes effort. Scratch after scratch after scratch. But when you etch it in there, when you carve it in, what's there will last for centuries. That's how character is developed. It's one decision at a time. Your character is going to be the product of the decisions that you make. That's how you form good character. That's how you form bad character. Make a particular choice often enough and the decision will eventually become automatic because it just becomes who you are. I mean, have you ever met one of these people who just are always lying? They'll even lie when it would be easier for them to tell the truth. Do you know why they would tell a lie even though it would be better to tell the truth? It's their habit. It's automatic. They've just become a liar. It's become their character. Look, you choose to hold a grudge rather than forgive. You choose to hold a grudge enough. Someday you will be bitter and unhappy. You'll be one of those bitter, unhappy, grumpy old men, grumpy old women. But you choose to forgive. You choose to get over things. You don't let bitterness set into you. As you age, that becomes who you are. And you'll just be joyful. You can find a reason to smile. Almost everything. Two of my favorite people to hang around is. Well, I'll just add three. I love hanging around Glenn, Sally, and Howard back there. Because they're not bitter, grumpy old folks. They didn't decide that yesterday. They decided that over and over and over again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the mocker or the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. I want you to think about the best meal you've ever had, the best restaurant you've ever eaten at, the, 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 the best dessert you've ever d- enjoyed. All right, wait, hold on, wait, because I know you're a foodie like me. Linda, what's come to your mind? What, what, what's come to your mind? Merriman's in Hawaii. Wow, that's a long way away. Y'all got something? You got like, like, okay, now that you've got that in your mind. If we were to have that restaurant or that bread pudding back in the back today, would you be like, would you be excited? Yeah, because it's a delight. And in fact, I mean, you said, okay, Merriman's in Hawaii. Like, that's going to take some cost, some effort to get over there. But I bet you if it's truly a delight, you're like, it's worth the effort. It's worth the time. Look, when, when something's a delight, you don't mind waiting a little longer. You don't mind giving a bit extra. You don't mind traveling a bit further. You look forward to it, and you go after it. For this person, the blessed person, the Bible's, Bible study's not boring. It's not arduous. The work involved to study doesn't seem like work to him. This man doesn't read God's word out of obligation or discipline. He reads God's word because he wants to. It's rest for him. It's dessert. It's a treat. He doesn't have to make himself read it. In fact, what he's got to do, he's got to make himself put, I got to quit reading this. I got other things I got to do. That's his delight. Then, while he's doing other things, it says that he meditates on it day and night. It's what he's thinking about. 
See, if you could choose to be that kind of person, say, man, I just want the things of God. I'm not going to go and I'm not going to walk in that council. I'm not going to stand in that way. I'm not going to sit in that seat. No, this is my delight. There's a result. Verse 3. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. See, a tree planted by a stream of water always has what it needs to grow. There's no dry season for that tree. Other trees are struggling because it's not raining. This tree's got a constant flow of water. And consequently, it's always growing. You know, one of the great tragedies that happens to some after graduation is they stop growing. The best part of life is now over. I'm saddened when I hear somebody talk about how high school was the best days of their life. Look, truthfully, high school is some of the easiest days of your life, but they're far from the best. Don't stop growing in your life. Don't stop growing in your faith. For many, what happens is now that parents and teachers are no longer pushing them to grow, they're no longer pursuing growth on their own. They've got no reason to grow because their reason was always somebody else. Don't let that happen to you. It says they they yield its fruit. Because this person is always growing, this person brings forth good things like a tree yielding fruit. And then it says, whatever he does prospers. It's almost like the Bible saying, here's the secret to success. And it doesn't mean that, okay, if you do this, that that means that what you set out to achieve, you're always going to do. I mean, I like to joke. I, I was this close to being a, an NBA all-star. I just, I just lacked two things. I wasn't tall, and I couldn't make the ball go in that hole. So close. Could have been a millionaire. Two things. That's all I lacked. No, it doesn't say that if I love the Bible, I'll be able to slam dunk a ball. What it does, though, mean? It means that in life, you're going to succeed in the things that matter. I saw a cartoon where somebody says, like, yeah, I spent my life climbing the ladder of success only to find it was leaning up against the wrong tree. That happens. Spend a lot of time and energy chasing after things that don't matter. I've known lots of folks that had lots of money and would have given it all. Have a good relationship with their wife and their kids. If you're going to succeed in life, succeed in things that actually matter. There's a lot of stuff that we just get down to it. It's like, you know what? It really doesn't matter that much. You want to know the things that matter? You trust in God. You delight in His words. He'll guide your steps. And I promise you, He'll take you places that you never could have gone on your own. Work hard. Work smart. Be blessed. Father God, I thank You for Your Word. And I pray not only for those who are, are celebrating the completion of high school and moving on to the next chapter in their life, but I pray also for all of us that we can 
hear your word. Know that there is more to this life than, than what we can muster up by our own effort and, and, and work. To, to seek your blessing. To not count it as luck, but to be the kind of people that, that you joyfully place your hand upon what we're doing. That you put your hand upon our marriages, upon our work, our jobs, the possessions that you put in, into our lives. And God, we've seen you do it with people in your scriptures and even people in our day to be blessed. God, I pray that for all your people here. Forgive us, Father, when not only we've been walking in the counsel of the wicked, but we've actually given that counsel. Because in our own selfishness, we just thought we had knew better than, than you. Thank you, Father, that your love is big enough to forgive that. Father, forgive us when we've stood for things that were not of you. Forgive us for not seeking to make a positive impact in this world, but rather mocking those who are trying. It's such an easy thing to do. And God, change us that we might be people that, with your help, actually do make a positive difference in this world. Father God, thank you that your son Jesus was just that sort of person. That he gave everything for the good of others. And that because of his death on a cross and resurrection, we can have hope of heaven. So Father, in these next moments, have your way. Speak to us about our relationship with you. Speak to us about the character that, that we're developing and changes. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.